Today on the podcast, a mantelpiece moment that takes me to the courtroom. A novel that makes you question whether you are sane, and of course, the weekly reveal to what magical book I have pulled down from my to-be-read shelf. All of that and more this week on A Novel Review. Hello and welcome to the literature podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review. So great to have you. Welcome. This is a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus. I am your host. And for today's episode, a bit of passion. And that passion is the passion according to G.H. by Clarice Lispector. But before I jump into this book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments. Something to highlight from the week past. And in this past week, I went and saw Witness for the Prosecution, which is a courtroom drama by none other than the Queen, Agatha Christie, and wow, this was phenomenal. Literally, the first scene is so intense, and the play does not let up from there. Once again, the set is just stunning with being set in a literal old council chamber, so you, as the audience, kind of circle around the stage, or I guess semi-circle around the stage. Now, because it is a courtroom drama, there is a jury, and yes, the jury is made up of actual theatre goers, which is really fun, and they have to you know, stand when the judge enters and take their seats again, and one lucky person gets to read the verdict. Guilty or not guilty, of course. I checked, and these particular seats are sold out for over a year in advance, so yeah, you really have to plan ahead if you want to be those people. The tension of a courtroom drama swirling with Agatha Christie means that you're paying attention and yet, you aren't sure what you're paying attention to. There are details to catch, surely, and yet, no detective to sieve through the nonsense. In the interval, you guess who you think the killer is. You reason with yourself and make a choice. And then, as the denouement comes, you realise you had chosen wrong. God damn it, Agatha has done it again. A great show, and one I would thoroughly recommend if you are ever in area. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episode are available on my website just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impairment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod. So head along, they are all free for use for all to enjoy. Also, all the episodes are available on YouTube with closed captions. That's more your cup of tea. Life was taking revenge on me, and its revenge was no more than coming back, nothing more. In every case of madness, something came back. The possessed are not possessed by what is coming, but by what is coming back. Just one of the many quotes that I stole from this book, and what a curious, curious book it is. The Passion According to G.H. by Clarice Lispector. Now, before embarking upon this novel, I had read one other thing by Clarice, a story entitled The Imitation of the Rose. It was also odd, but not to this level. The level this book goes to has to be one of the most fervent and intense reads without, in a sense, really making headway in regards to a story. 
The story from this novel really comes through the philosophical drive, the philosophical underpinnings that race through human minds and from the mind, the deterioration of the self. It's a novel that for me I can place with a class of other novels instantly. I read it and it leaves me with this sparse emptiness. It reminds me of the dislocation I feel when reading Albert Camus' The Outsider, Patrick Suskind's The Pigeon, or Kafka's Metamorphosis. Maybe the first two more than the last, and maybe the only reason Kafka comes to mind is because this novel is about a bug. Yes, a bug. I reckon now is a great time for an overview. It's funny, normally with the overviews I struggle because it's quite difficult to sum up a novel in a few lines, to strip it back to the base essentials that would give you, the listener, a window of understanding about what is happening. Today is a little different. Today's story is short. The novel itself is around 200 pages, but the plot is incredibly short. And because the plot is short, I will be revealing the ending of this novel in this overview. If you don't want anything spoiled, stop listening, but also the ending isn't like a big twist of the story. You can see it coming, and yet, like a car crash, you want to look away, and yet you find that you can't. A woman, while in her maid's room, sees a cockroach in the wardrobe. In fright, she slams the door and cuts the cockroach in half. From this, she can see the insides of the cockroach ooze out and is still alive a little. And as the story progresses, and this is a huge spoiler for those stories, so tune out now, for a few seconds at least, but as the story progresses, you realise she is going to eat some of the oozing body of the cockroach. Yes, you heard that correctly. Yes, it is rank, but yes, the book is still good, despite this disgusting ending. It's incredibly philosophical and goes to this depth that is quite rare to read. One of the central themes of The Passion According to G.H. is existentialism, a philosophical movement that emphasizes individual freedom, choice, and personal responsibility. In fact, I should I should probably actually do an episode on existentialism because that would be fun. But anyways, G.H.'s confrontation with the cockroach becomes a metaphor for her confrontation with the existential void, pushing her to question her identity and purpose in the world. Let's have a quote because, I mean, nothing is better than hearing it from the text itself. And the quote goes like this. G.H. had lived a good bit, by which I mean had lived many facts. Perhaps I was in some kind of rush to live everything there was to live all at once, so I'd have time left over to... To live without facts? To live. Early on I satisfied the duties of my senses. Early and quickly I had my sorrows and joys. In order to be quickly freed from my minor human destiny, and to be free to go on in search of my tragedy. Just another sparkling idea that is threaded through this story. And make no mistake, it's the philosophical ideas that carry this story, that drive the action and also drive what absurd plot there is. But that is a really beautiful and grounding idea. What are we rushing to? Racing through the streets to the next red light? And what I think makes the quote really rounds out this idea is that we rush to satisfy our life and from that we end up in search of our own tragedy. Her quest for self-identity and meaning mirrors the existentialist struggle to find significance in a seemingly insignificant universe. 
reflecting the influence of the existentialist thinkers like Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus. Her journey, her story, her thoughts serve as a microcosm of the broader human experience, characterized by moments of alienation, meaninglessness, and isolation. It is this focus on the subjective experience of consciousness. G.H.'s introspection and her attempt to understand the nature of reality, exploring the boundaries between self and other, highlighting how we construct our reality through our perceptions and interpretation of the world. Early in the story, she remarks how G.H. is what people think of her, and so that is who she is. Simply just made up, constructed of everyone else's idea of who she is. She moves from an initial sense of repulsion and fear towards the cockroach to a profound sense of connection and oneness. This transformation echoes the mystical and metaphysical themes that transcend the ordinary and probe the boundaries of human understanding. In doing so, she transcends her own ego. But first I would say she almost recognizes her own ego first, which is an important step in the process, and then goes on to transcend it, tapping into a universal consciousness. This metaphysical exploration invites readers to contemplate the possibility of spiritual awakening and the dissolution of dualities, which upon conclusion of the book, is a really conflicting thought because it all seems too beautiful. The book, the writing, the ideas, all of them seductive in a way, but yet I never at one moment, and hope I never do, want to put the oozing paste of a cockroach's internal organs into my mouth. Yuck. Even saying it really, really turns me off. But still, this novel lingers in my mind. Early in the story, G.H. proclaims, I do not know what to do with what I've lived. I'm afraid of that profound disorder. And somehow, that rings true for this book. I've read it and felt its ideas, and yet I don't know what to do with them. Maybe I'm scared of them, scared of the idea that such thoughts could lead me to absurd ideas like eating a cockroach. If you are looking for a riveting page-turning story, this one might not be for you but if you are seeking a novel filled with potent language that blends poetry and writing into one, this is a triumph. So what would I rate this novel? I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. So if you're having an existential crisis and think that bug on the wall is looking at you, maybe give this novel a read. So what am I reading this week? Nothing. This week I am tearing my way through some big books, so the what am I reading section is being replaced with a literary fact. I'll make it a good one so that at the end you come away having learned at least something from the episode. This one concerns Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson, two of the most recognisable characters in not just literature, but the world. Well, what if I told you that they were nearly called something else? Are you ready for the names? They were originally going to be called Sheringford Hope and Ormond Sacker. Sheringford Hope and Ormond Sacker. Dr. Ormond Sacker, I presume. Can you imagine that? No, thank God. Thankfully, we don't have to imagine long because it didn't happen, and thank God it didn't. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson, and that's who they will be forever. Now, before I close out the show, if you have listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. 
Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to end this episode. And today, to take us away, I think I think it's, you know, it's getting late in the year in London. It's cold. It's maybe a little bleak. So why don't we have a quote from Bleak House by Charles Dickens? And he says, Fog everywhere. Fog everywhere. Fog up the river where it flows among the green eights and meadows. Fog down the river where it rolls defiled among the tears of shipping and the waterside pollutions of a great and dirty city. Fog on the Essex marshes. Fog on the Kentish heights. Fog creeping into the cabooses of collier brigs. Fog lying out of the yards and hovering in the rigging of great ships. Fog drooping on the gunwales of barges and small boats. Fog in the eyes and throats of ancient Greenwich pensioners, wheezing by the firesides in their wards. Fog in the stem and bowl of the afternoon pipe of the wrathful skipper, down in his close cabin. Fog cruelly pinching the toes and fingers of his shivering little prentice boy on deck. Chance people on the bridges, peeping over the parapets into a nether sky of fog, with fog all round them, as if they were up in a balloon and hanging in the misty clouds.